You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. On today's Science of Storytelling episode, I'm chatting with Ashish Verma, Global Executive Creative Director, Content and Creative Solutions at Bloomberg Media. We're going to discuss how a career path he compares to monkey bars led him to Bloomberg Media, the movement from branded content to branded solutions, and the importance of empathy in both our work and our lives. If you like this episode, please leave a comment and let me know what you think. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. Please enjoy the show. I am really looking forward to hearing and you sharing the story of how you started out and how you ended up at Bloomberg Media. I think it's a really interesting to learn people in a position like yours. It isn't often something that, you know, us as kids, we're like, oh, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be the global executive creative director, content and creative solutions for Bloomberg Media, which is your <laughs> role. Right. But I imagine that wasn't something on career day. <laughs> right. You decided you're going to do. So why don't we start... Tell us about your role at Bloomberg Media, and then we'll work our way back to the start from there. Sure. Um, essentially, as as uh, the global executive creative director, I, I I'm part of the Bloomberg Media Studios group, and what we do is, um, or our job essentially is, to bring to bear what Bloomberg, as an organization as a whole, stands for, the assets that it has, the intelligence that it contains the expert that it has at its disposal, the news organization, how do we bring to bear all of those um, unique attributes of the organization for clients? And how do we begin to find the right merger or the intersection of what clients are looking for with what Bloomberg has to offer? And that to us is, is less about just simply creating content and is very much about how do we begin to look at creating solutions? And and there we uh, that's that's the space that we feel we're uniquely qualified as a company, not just as a publisher or as a media company, as an overarching company to be a partner to brands in a much more unique and meaningful way. Mm, that's great. And so, on your way to that, let's go back. What did you What did you study? So that's um, it's a very sort of non traditional, non linear approach. I wish I were one of those people that had in my head, you know, that I was going to grow up and be an architect or be, um, I don't know, a film director um, or a scientist. And and I just never really had that. And, and I've always sort of described my choices, career choices, educational choices, very much as a, as a jungle gym approach. You know, I, I see something, I grab it, and I, and I try and make the most of it. Um, and if you want to go really far back, you know, I studied... Um, computer engineering back uh, in in Mumbai, India, because um, I was a good Indian student and I did really well. And of course, then I have to go study engineering. But a year of that, I was, you know, kind of freaked out saying this is not something that I want to do for the rest of my life. And I moved to the States to go to design school and um, study design, uh, much to my parents' chagrin, and moved then to New York to go to graduate school for computer art, which was just sort of at the dawn of the internet and um, imaging myself there and CD-ROMs and things like that. And it was all about interactive media. What is all of this? And how do we make sense of it? 
And so I, I did that. And, and when I graduated, um, you know, it was the essential art school question. Well, now what do I do with all mm -hmm. of this? Um, and um, how do I actually make money from all of this? And I actually moved um, to the gaming industry for a bit. And this was, again, back when PlayStation was just about to be launched and N64 was out there. And um, I got into um, game design and how do you begin to tell stories through an interactive medium? How do you begin to kind of create much more of a, a, a nonlinear narrative um, and experience for uh, people who are sort of engaging either with a, um, a platform or with a brand in some cases? Um, and that sort of, for me, was the, the, the learning um, of what digital storytelling is all about. Um, and that sort of was, in some ways, the, the genesis of how I've kind of trained myself to become, you know, uh, very much about a, a learner on the job that um, a lot of the stuff is emerging and we're in that same position now in publishing and media. You kind of have to learn as you go and experiment and try. Um, but that was the, the, my training ground for storytelling um, in a very non-traditional medium. It's interesting. I remember dating myself as well. The It was like the console wars were starting. It was PlayStation right. was coming out. I right. It was exciting because I was raised with a, my dad. He was like an early adopter, and that sounds great, but what you don't want is to be the kid of an early adopter because you end up with a lot of tech that never gets adopted. Right. So everyone else had Atari, and I had a game system called Intellivision, right. which was technically better, right. but no one <laughs> knew how to play. So I had this one, and we had games for it, but you couldn't trade games with your friends right. because no one else had an Intellivision. Yeah. And then I remember he, we bought a Laserdisc player really early on. And I don't know if you remember Laserdiscs, but it of was... Of course. Yeah, they were these huge discs. You'd watch a movie. It would take flip three it. or four, three or four discs that you'd have to flip. I mean, the quality was exceptional, yeah. but no one sold them. You couldn't go to Blockbuster and get Laserdiscs. Right. So I always, I remember, and so I remember these PlayStation Wars because we had this in television and I thought, I thought, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get the new thing. I'm going to get the mainstream thing. So I kind of stuck with Nintendo for a while. I ended up going to PlayStation, but I didn't get a PlayStation until I think PlayStation 3. Right. But it was a really interesting time. Uh, and it seems like if there is a, you know, a thread between these choices that you're making, it does seem... Like you like being in the messy time yeah. of a certain area, whether it's gaming or, or even publishing now. I, I think that's fair. I think it's, it's about, you know, even with gaming and the different platforms that it's gone through, and if you try and draw the analogy here, it's about trying to figure out what the merger is uh, or the intersection is between technological development and changing consumer behavior changing culture, the cultural landscape that's changing and trying to figure out what is it that's going to be the, what's going to make the most sense here, you know, both from an, a service standpoint, what's going to make sense here in terms of offering the, the, the maximum value for the user for their time. And that's sort of the same, you're exactly right. I think that's the same um, position that we're in today in, in branded content or branded storytelling, whatever you may call it. It's, it's trying to figure out what's the right 
way to engage audiences in a way that gives them the most value for their time. And why do you think branded content has become a thing? Like, what's the necessity of, I mean, why can't we just use banner ads and, you know, e-newsletters or whatever else has worked in the, in the past? What's the need out there that's causing this change and this adoption of a different format? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been around for a long time, but I feel like where we are today, and maybe if I can, I would pivot to calling it more branded solutions, um, because I do feel like branded content is also coming to a certain point where it is um, reaching its peak. And um, you have to be, you know, there's a plethora of content, there's more content that you can actually consume in a single day, right? And it's... Um, it, there is there is a sort of content overload that's happening out there in, in, in the world. And we have to begin to figure out if we are going to go out and take it upon ourselves to create more content, why are we doing that? What is the value that we're adding? And is our audience actually going to be able to, A, find it, and B, spend a meaningful amount of time with it? And so I uh, we're in the midst of sort of pivoting, you know, to expand our offering to being much more about branded solutions um, than just simply about branded content. And I think that includes everything from um, branded experiences, the development of tools and solutions, um, to be able to actually create meaningful um, ways for people to um, kind of cross-pollinate what they take from one medium or one platform into another. And I think creating much more, again, back to this notion of a nonlinear storytelling approach, looking at the platforms at our disposal. And Bloomberg is lucky enough to actually have, you know, TV, radio, print, live experiences, all within our, our, our walls. How do we kind of thread those in a way that actually makes it feel a lot more valuable for the end user? It's interesting. I like the idea of branded solutions. I've always thought one of the biggest advantages of working in marketing is that you can have these large budgets that can fund an idea. So maybe sometimes that idea is a series of articles, but there's no reason why that funding can't go towards, you know, this big event that is encouraging people to uh, meditate or like it could, it could create this new value that's yeah. out there or even, you know, building a new app that solves a problem. Sure. All kinds of different things. Whatever it may be, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a place for advertising, you know, and kind of raising the awareness of your brand or what have you. But there's also going to then be, you know, your marketing dollars need to go a lot further and your marketing dollars need to go beyond just raising awareness and into relationships or engagement. And that relationship building is where I think the the branded solutions come a lot into play. And um, for us, I think a lot of it is um, about not just, you know, a data story or an audience story, because you'll have publishers talking about that, you know, as, as like as the, as the things that they lean on is what's unique about them. And sure, that's important, but that's not all that there is. Because at the end of the day, you need to make sure that you have the data, you have the audience, you have, you know, the, the kind of intelligence that you bring to, bring to the table. But what is it that makes it unique to you as a publisher or as a media company that makes it much more um, authentic? And for us, you know, this is, this is sort of where 
we put a stake in the ground based off of what Mike Bloomberg has done for the company and what he stands for and what translates into Bloomberg LP, are those sort of those values or those pillars around diversity and inclusion and equality and sustainability and, you know, transparency. I mean, an invention which goes back all the way to the Bloomberg terminal. That's, you know, that's our genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we put a stake in the ground, we have credibility, we have equity in, in those areas. Now, we if we bring that with a combination of data and um, intelligence and our audience, that's a much more powerful value proposition for brands, you know, and that rounds out our story and makes something very true to us and makes it very authentic to us because you're now standing for something that as you think about, you know, what brands out there are trying to do in terms of creating meaningful relationships with their audiences, whether that's millennials or older, you know, you are looking for something that has some sense of purpose. We hear about purpose-driven brands Mm -hmm. all day, you know, but what does that really mean? And how do you really build credibility? How do you really build some sense of authority? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the partnership that we bring to the table that allows us to think about brand solutions in a very different way. Well, I I believe that what brands are looking for is to leverage that in some way. It's something that they don't have, and so they're going to find a partner that has credibility in a market or around a topic or with an audience that they don't have. And otherwise, I mean, can you just work with any creative agency? Exactly right. right. Just work with someone that has really good copywriters, and there's tons of really talented people out there. Exactly right. There has to be a reason to work with Bloomberg Media. So what was it that you were in computer science and then design studies and and computer art studies. What was it that attracted you? And you didn't go straight to Bloomberg. What did you do between schooling and where you've ended up at Bloomberg? So from, um, you know, from gaming to um, uh, brand uh, consulting to digital marketing, uh, ad agencies, um, I kind of ran the gamut and... um, very much in similar spaces, but mm-hmm. different avenues. And um, the one thing that I always say um, is that I kind of built my creative career a little bit based on fluff, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's very much an ad agency. And I don't, you know, not disparaging any of the creatives and ad agencies, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there. Um, but for me, it was, you know, the pace of those types of organizations is that you learn just enough about something to be dangerous and to be able to go out and pitch something big. And, you know, when I came to Bloomberg Media, that was sort of my experience. And I remember talking to uh, a bunch of people during the course of exploring the opportunity. And, um, you know, I started uh, working on a project on a contract basis. And the very first project was around trying to create thought thought leadership um, uh, around sustainable finance for one of our, our clients. And um, as part of my intelligence gathering process, I sat down with the person who ran sustainability at the time. And he spent about two hours with me um, talking about why sustainable finance, the ins and outs of the different dimensions of uh, sustainable finance, how it impacts not just, you know, you know inequality, but it impacts sort of um, global issues like, um, um, you know, uh, job opportunities and sustainability. And in those two hours and subsequent conversations that we had, I felt like I had gone back to school. Mm. And it felt like there was so much substance there 
and so much expertise that it actually kind of gave creative a much different reason for being. And it was very much about how creative can take that intelligence and that expertise and make something compelling out of it. And it was, you, you were on a very solid foundation with that intelligence. And I never had that before. Right. And it's so, a depth. There's a depth to that knowledge. There's someone who spent 10,000 hours learning right. about sustainable investing. It's gone way beyond a Google search. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> well, I've, I've worked uh, agency side as well. And I do know what you mean is lots of talented people. But one day you're pitching on a finance brand. The next one, it's an auto brand. The next time it's a food brand. Right. And how much can you learn about each of those in order to be able to, you know, take that brand and then tell a story about it? It's a really challenging uh, space to be in. Whereas, you know, someone at Bloomberg that's an analyst gets to spend right. 15 years learning about a really small segment of of the greater picture. That's exactly right. And I think that that to me is sort of amazing when, you know, we have these, um, this group called Bloomberg Intelligence, which is essentially over 300 analysts, like you said, who are living and breathing everything from ESG investing to the business of luxury to the tech, the technology space. And um, at any given time, we can tap into that, you know, to be able to get a sense of what's happening in the market, what's happening with the competition, what's sort of the cultural vision around this and where it's going. And that's, you know, that's real fodder for a creative to be able to go out and do something with it. Um, and to me, that was the biggest draw. Yeah. It's like, here's something that actually validate my <laughs> my career. Yeah, it makes sense that I did all these things right. now, parents. Right, exactly. I told you. We'll be back to the episode in just a few seconds. But first, we have some exciting news for you. At Pressboard, we love stories, but we know how hard it can be to measure them. So we're here to help, whether it's a sponsored article on a news site, an Instagram post from an influencer, or a video on YouTube. Our tech measures it all. Pressboard is already trusted by Spotify, Intel, NBC Universal, Hearst, and thousands more. And here's the big news. Listeners of the podcast can try out the Pressboard platform for free. Just email info at pressboardmedia.com right now. All right, let's get back to the show. Uh, well, let's put this into some context. So there's a campaign that you did with uh, BlackRock mm -hmm. that I want to dig into. Maybe you can provide some context to that campaign before we dig in. Yeah, and... and you know, uh, maybe just as a precursor to that, one of the things that we are doing a lot of in terms of how we build this sort of shared ambition with brands um, is, and how data plays a role in there, there's um, a range of how people think of data and data-driven has become such a buzzword, right? Everybody's talking about it. And we think about data both in terms of being very visceral um, on one hand, so you can think about, you know, Bloomberg Green that we just launched that has a data dashboard um, and, and kind of shows you sort of the carbon clock uh, with it. And on the other hand, it's, it's very implicit. And um, on the implicit side, the data allows us to really turn things on its head to be able to think about conventional or traditional ways of engaging with an audience and um, question that or try and come at it from another angle. And that was the case with BlackRock, um, which wanted to kind of democratize access to factor investing and, 
you know, like people like you and me, maybe you're, you're a lot more educated in this, um, have no idea what factor investing no. is about, you know, and it's very much a, it seems like it's a niche market, you know, um, that would be interested in it. But they want it, you know, it's a very powerful tool. And, um, you know, their primary audience is financial advisors, which makes sense. What is factor investing? So factor investing essentially breaks down the core principles on, and again, I'm going to butcher this because I'm not an ex expert, but at its core, factor investing breaks down the core principles of investing into some very logical factors, if you mm -hmm. will, or components that you should be thinking about. Everything from the quality of a stock or the size or the momentum of a stock and volatility. And once you break it down into those components, you can then combine those factors to be able to create your investment strategy, mm. right? So when you explain it like that, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? It's common sense. And that was a bit of the aha moment that we had. The other thing was, um, to date, the way clients had been engaging with um, FA audiences, the financial advisor audience, and with investors who have you know, uh, investable assets over a certain amount to be able to engage with factor investing, was all about look at the return and here's a chart and here's a graph and you know we'll give you you know the the answers by the numbers um and for us it was like yes we can do the same thing but we have this you know notion that factor investing can really be broken down into some core principles and then through our data we have a proprietary fa study um that um, we were able to dive into and we found you know Fact, financial advisors are people too, right. and they're interested in things beyond just finance and business. They love the theater, they love sports, they love um, fine dining. And how do we lean into that um, as a way of demystifying what factor investing is about? Mm. And so for us, the way to get into that was saying, hey, how about we get some of these cultural influencers or leaders in these spaces to break down factor, what fact, what the factors are of, as an example, in dining, we got Danny Meyer to talk about the factors of hospitality. Mm. You know, that's what Union Square Hospitality Group stands for. Um, Danny Meyer of Shake Shack, I'm sure every New Yorker knows, right? Um, we got Adina Menzel from Frozen to talk about the factors of performance. And we got um, Doc Rivers to talk about sort of the, the factors of winning, you know, uh, coach for the Clippers. And um, for us, in each case, it was, hey, Adina, can you talk a little bit about what, what constitutes a great performance? Or Danny, can you talk about what constitutes uh, you know, a great dining experience? And then we had a BlackRock expert kind of find the corollary. Mm -hmm. Here's the factors of dining, and here's the factors of investing. Look, there's some very common principles that are very uh, you know, uh, analogous. Yeah. And that's a way to do two things. One you kind of break through in a very sort of uh, culturally relevant way, you know, and it's not just about now we're going to talk about finance and business, so it needs to be boring. It's much, it can still be exciting, it can still be accessible, um, and you are now able to get someone's attention in a very different way. And then the second thing is it actually makes this very much, you know, uh, common sense. So what it does is it sort of opens the box of what might have been thought of as something really complex and um, not for me, or I need to have a certain degree to be able to understand this. And it sort of opens the, it allows you to dip your toe in the water to be able to get a better sense of it. And for each episode, it was an episodic series, what we did was we got a little bit more nuanced in the conversation, you know, and knowing that there's a journey that 
you know, our audience is going to go on. So not every episode hit home on the same messages, but it kind of went, like went from being aware of it to actually being able to use some of the tools. Yeah, I like that it's not necessarily dumbing down the information. It's just providing a different viewpoint. Exactly to look right. At it through. Uh, there's I don't know if you watched The Big Short. Uh, yeah, Big sure. Short, a very complex right uh, discussion that's happening there. And I remember they had those little bits, and it would just be explained in more right. layman terms. Not that this is the exact same thing, but it's this idea of there's different ways to be able to communicate the information that's going to resonate differently with different people. Right. And I think seeing that you know financial advisors are just people, they're picking up their right. kids from school, and they're watching a basketball game, and they're going out for dinner. They don't spend 100% of their time only right. you, you don't spend a hundred percent of your time only doing branded content. I don't do a hundred percent of my time only. What are you doing talking about? This is exactly what <laughs> this I do. Is what I do twenty four seven, right? Every single minute, and so bringing those that humanity yeah. into it. But then having so I don't think anyone would be able to do that. I believe that Bloomberg Media is able to do that because there's uh, an intrinsic credibility that's built in, right? That goes all the way back to. The terminal. Yeah, uh, I think there's a really interesting, you know, origin story behind Bloomberg LP and Bloomberg Media around this terminal. And I, I'm curious about whether there was a time where PCs were becoming big, and the terminal was before like personal computers. Even mm -hmm. it was like the first mm -hmm. personal computer, but it was just for people that were in the investment industry. And I wonder if there was calls like, "This will be the end of the terminal. Mm -hmm. This will be the end of Bloomberg," which obviously didn't happen. Uh, but it's because the it's the intelligence that lives behind right. there yeah. is is the real value. It's not the hardware that yeah. sits on a desk. It's the fact that there's 300 analysts that are combing through this, and they are spending 100% of their time yeah. or a big portion of their time working on that. Right. I mean, there's a big infrastructure that supports that, you know, and I think what we take away from the terminal story is we retain that spirit of kind of invention, you know, in everything that we do so that when we talk about you know, solutions that we come up with brands today. I mean, that's very much part of how we look back at our heritage and our equity out there in the marketplace. We actually disrupted something, you know, in the 80s. And Mike did that in a way that was really kind of took the markets by storm. And I think that spirit of entrepreneurialism is what we try and do every day, even with, you know, the creatives on my team, as well as sort of with our clients. Um, you know, and, and we look for opportunities to be able to create uh, solutions that kind of allow clients to have a very unique position in the marketplace, you know. So, you know, we did this thing recently with Hyundai and um, with the launch of their hydrogen vehicle, Nexo. Um, and the conversation around hydrogen vehicles is, is, is riddled with misconceptions or mm. just hydrogen as a fuel. Um, and we kind of said this is your time to be able to actually own that conversation and dispel some of those myths but also part of bloomberg new energy uh, bloomberg and new energy group how do we kind of join hands and say let's create a new tool that allows you to kind of gauge the the adoption of hydrogen across the world so we developed the hydrogen economy index that allows you to kind of get it you know through various variables what the sort of ranking is of all the different countries out there that are adopting hydrogen and, um, you know, kind of taking the first step into a very different type of infrastructure that supports hydrogen, which the only output of, of a hydrogen vehicle is water. Right. You know, and so 
when you create a, a tool with that kind of shared equity, that sort of, again, back to what we were talking about with the terminal is like, how do we kind of really invent something that's new and different? And so you worked with that on that tool with Hyundai? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a branded solution. You're building That's exactly right. a tool. This isn't, you know, this isn't just an article. Nothing wrong with doing just an article, but right. you're building something that is then providing value to thousands, if not millions of people. Yeah, and I think then it also moves from being a, um, a point-in-time mm. solution to being something that actually has longevity built into it. Right. And actually kind of you hold hands with your with your client partners and say, how can we actually look at something that is going to do something meaningful for the long haul? As opposed to, oh, I have this campaign again that I'm gonna run for six weeks. Again, all of that, no, no, you know, we'll do all of it. Mm -hmm. But I think for in terms of the ideal scenario for us is kind of having these built-in longer term partnerships that have have skin in the game, uh, skin in the game for both of us, right? You know, and that's sort of what matters most. And then, how do you tell if it's successful? How do you know? You know, you build these programs; they take a lot of time, they take a lot of resources, a lot of investment from all parties, and then you put them out into the wild. And then, how do you know if if it was good? Yeah, I mean, I think we have a very strong data insights uh, uh, and science team, and um, or data science and insights team. Sorry, and um, what they come up with is an ability for us to be able to do two things. One, you have a sense of basic performance, right? So you're able to track your usual metrics around um, engagement and time spent and you know all of that. Video views and paid exactly. views and shares. So you have that as a, as a foundation. But what we do a lot because we're dealing with brands who um, are really looking for an, uh, an equity lift, mm. you know, or thought leadership lift. We do a lot of pre-post studies. Mm. So the measurement of it, so the performance is the, the usual metrics, but the measurement of it is actually being able to kind of understand with our target audience how much of a lift or how much of a consideration um, lift we'll be able to make uh, with, with who we were talking to and targeting. That's the area that I'm really excited about because I fell in love with marketing I did have one of those linear paths where I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in marketing at least. Yeah. And I followed that path. But what I loved was influence. Mm -hmm. I loved this idea. I wanted to be a lawyer or in marketing. Mm. And to me, they're the same. <laughs> they're, right, they're exactly. the same thing. You're, you're putting forward a point and you're influencing an audience to believe in that in some yeah. way. Yeah. And I always use the example of you can be wearing a pair of jeans and the person beside you can be wearing a pair of jeans, and one of you paid $350 for it, and one paid $30 for it, and the base material is almost identical. Right. So what is the difference between those two? It's just that a brand has influenced your feeling in it that they haven't tricked you because you do think they're worth $350 because of the marketing campaign or the, you know, how the um, staining was done on it in mm -hmm. what place. So I find this influence is really interesting but I find it's incredibly hard to measure. So these post and pre and post studies help give a, an insight into it. I'm wondering if there will be ways that we'll, we'll be able to measure that further in the future because it is an area that I have seen less, I don't want to say less innovation, just less progress maybe. Yeah. And I think, you know, as creatives, you know, and certainly the, the conversation around how we measure and perform is is more in the nitty-gritty and, and way above my pay grade. But I think 
as creatives, we do need to be more fluent with the language of data science. Mm. And I think that's a really important differentiator for us that, you know, we have um, tools that we've developed, things like AIQ, which is a way for us to understand, you know, audience consumption behaviors mm. and content trends uh, in a deeper way. And every time we start working on a piece of whether it's a content series or if it's a solution oriented um, um, initiative, we start with AIQ to be able to get a sense of what is the white space? What's well-trodden area? What's the what's the space that this audience is interested in beyond the thing that we want to talk to them about? Okay, you know, the, what, one of the great things about the Bloomberg audience is um, they're so multifaceted right. in that we found through our own research that they are just as likely to be corporate executives and parents and foodies and, you know, kind of to the point that we we're talking about before and interested in, interested in sustainability. And how do we kind of get a sense of what are other ways or avenues for us to be able to engage them in conversations beyond the one thing that we want to talk to mm. them about and market them, right. you know, and market to them. And so I think the other piece is for us to be able to get a, a more holistic sense of this person beyond sort of our selfish needs so that we're able to kind of really think about um, who and what uh, we present to them in a more sort of meaningful, in a way that's meaningful to their life. And data science helps us kind of, you know, or the tools that data science creates for us helps us sort of equalize that language. Maybe you're computer science <laughs> right? education. Maybe maybe you're just using this as a way to make sure that I everything know. you did is valuable. It's kind of crazy. It, I think this is the 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 big message is that you know, like it's it's you are essentially the sum of your parts. And yeah. I think that sounds so cheesy sometimes, but it's every day I think about um, you know, my gosh, there's something that I learned so far back, whether that was in programming or if that was in like gaming that you somehow apply in a very different context, one mm -hmm. that you never would have thought about because, you know, you couldn't see the future. But all of that comes to, to play in some way. Yeah, I, I am really inspired and excited about this next generation. I have two kids. And there's a lot of, like, you know, millennials, they jump jobs all the time. And I think this is exceptional. Can you imagine yeah. if you had a career that went from you know, you're working on a farm and then next thing you're in branded content right. and then you're in technology. Like imagine what you could do with all of that different pieces of knowledge and then apply it to some passion that you have. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I think that's why it's sort of, you know, I have a, a five-year-old daughter as well. And um, for me, the, the, the anxiety that I had, maybe you had about sort of what am I going to do with my life, mm -hmm. you know, the and what sort of specialty career am I going to get into? I think some of that is the pressure is a little bit off on them because it's so wide open and so unknown. Yeah. And so much of what I hope, you know, she develops is a really sort of astute skill in empathy building, mm. you know, and I think that's that's going to help you regardless of what you do, whether you're in medicine or if you're in branded content. Yeah. Um, you know, a big part of our jobs, whether that's through data science or whatever, like when I talk about the holistic person, it's how do you kind of build empathy for the audience that you're trying to reach and kind of begin to evaluate things from that perspective mm -hmm. as opposed to talking to them or talking about them in sort of this um, kind of random, vague, you know, our target audience, this sort of entity that exists out there, you know. And it's, it's, it's not, you have to be able to translate that into an individual. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, for, uh, for us as parents is how do we begin to think about that skill, the softer skills of curiosity and 
empathy building and the ability to experiment, you know, that's what's going to be the most important. Yeah, one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is just learning somebody's background and this these career paths and these decisions we make that go in one way or another. Because I, I do think it's all about people. And I'll even talk a little bit about Bloomberg. Bloomberg is also very well known as a person, Mike Bloomberg, yeah. the, the founder of it. Uh, how has Mike, very well known, obviously very well known right now, right. Uh, has been well known in New York and throughout the world for a really long time. Uh, how how does Mike Bloomberg fit into Bloomberg Media? Yeah. Well, his name is on the door. Yeah. His name is part of our, or our organization. It's part of Bloomberg Media, Bloomberg Media Studios. I think um, at, at the end of the day, what Mike Bloomberg stands for is what Bloomberg stands for. Mm. Um, and he has some very high values and standards that he upholds. And some of the things that I was talking about earlier on, you know, this the notion of sustainability and climate change and the idea of equality and um, philanthropy and all of those things are really important to us. And so when we just launched Bloomberg Green, which is, you know, the one of the only um, uh, publications that uh, is dedicating a brand new way for us to have the dialogue around sustainability that's not about fear and fog and uh, very much about hope and solution building. Mm. And um, that's sort of very much part of his ethos, is, is, is uh, emblematic of, of the types of things that we come out with from Bloomberg Green, or we kind of work into you know, some of the tools of the indices that we create, the Gender Equality Index. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things are very much part and parcel of, um, of, of how we think about what we need to uphold and what's our ambition and our equity as a brand and how we can bring that to clients. That's amazing. Well, Ashish, I'm so happy to have you on the program today. It's been great talking to you. I'm really looking forward to seeing how you're going to continue to use all these different skills and education that you used. And I'm sure that your family is very proud of how you've ended up. So thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for tuning into the Science of Storytelling. Don't forget to leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. We have a ton more episodes coming up this season with some absolutely amazing guests. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a single one. See you next time.